0: Hello, you are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Isometry by Syntax6 on Omniscribe. Rating Explicit. Chapter 4 Chin in one hand, pen in the other. Mulder heaved his best, put upon sigh, as he documented the paranormal in triplicate. Scully's briefcase and overcoat lay on the table at the other end of the office, but Scully herself was nowhere to be seen. It wouldn't be fair, he reasoned, to fill out all the paperwork himself. She probably had her own slant on things, and he didn't want to deprive her of the opportunity to make her views known. He drummed his pen on the desk and glanced idly around the room. The book Miranda had lent him set where he'd left it when he arrived that morning leaning against his basketball on the shelf. He rolled his chair over and picked up the book. The worn binding slogged against his palm as he traced the faded El Chupacabra's image on the front. Flipping the cover open, he found Miranda's name and delicate script on the inside. He smiled and swiveled in his chair, propping his feet up on the desk as he began thumbing through the musty pages. In the middle, there were photographs of a wall of red rock that had a fierce fanged creature etched onto it. The phone rang, and Mulder groped for it with one hand, not taking his eyes from the book. Hello? Hello. May I speak with Dana Scully, please? Mulder posed feet down and paid attention. She's not here at the moment. May I take a message? That would be great. This is Barbara from the Georgetown Hospital. We need to talk to Miss Scully about scheduling an appointment as soon as possible. Uh, sure. Is everything okay? Okay. Just have her give us a call sometime today, all right? All right, I'll tell her. Mulder hung up the phone and put the book aside. Of course, her doctor couldn't give him any specific information, but lately his lack of real knowledge about her illness and its treatment had been needling him. He made a few awkward passes at asking Scully, but she always clipped him off before the full sentence was out of his mouth. I'm fine, Mulder. Which they both knew was an utter lie. Penny Northern and a dozen women like her could testify to that fact, had they not been dead and gone of the precise disease now eating away at his partner. But Scully knew these terrible truths as well as he did, and he didn't see what good it would be to rub her nose into it. Still, for all the conspiracies, cover-ups, and dirty deals he'd seen over the years, he'd never before encountered this particular kind of quiet frustration. No cloak and dagger informant was going to slip a note under his door. Want to know the truth about your partner's health? Meet me in the garage in half an hour. Hey, said the object of his thoughts, as she breezed through the door carrying a stack of folders. Her small purple pantsuit snapped with her quick steps, and her hair not one strand out of place. It seemed impossible that he was taking messages for her from a cancer ward. Hi, he said, straightening himself up. I missed you this morning. I've been at the lab. Did you need me for something? No, but your doctor's office just called. He skimmed his fingers along the edge of his desk, avoiding her eyes. They want you to call them back ASAP to schedule an appointment. He risked a glance at her to see if she might want to elaborate, but her face gave nothing away. Okay, thanks. I'll call them. She dug out her cell phone and turned her back, but she didn't leave the room. Mulder bit his lip and tried not to breathe. Hello, this is Dana Scully. I got a message that you called. Yes. Okay. Did she say how, low? Mulder's ears practically went on stems as he devoured each bit of cryptic information. Low could not be good, whatever it was. All right, yes. I can come in at five. Would that be okay? Mulder's eyes flew to the clock on the wall. Five was over four hours away. Something was low, damn it, and low enough to warrant a call. Four hours seemed a long time to wait. Scully hung up the phone and put it back in her pocket. What are you reading, she asked, lifting her chin in the direction of Miranda's book. She took a step closer and frowned. Mulder, not that Mexican goat sucker thing again. No, he said, slipping the book into a drawer. It's nothing. What, uh, what did the doctor say? Is everything all right? Fine. But he waited her out this time, refusing to break her gaze. She sighed. The labs came back from my blood tests on Friday, and my white cell count is a little low. They just want to repeat the test. That's all. It's nothing. Her echo of his dismissive words effectively shut that topic in a drawer too. He ducked his head. Okay. Then I guess I'll go grab a quick sandwich up the street. We've got to have those triplicates filled out by tonight. Can I join you? He halted and putting on his coat. For lunch? Yes, she lifted her eyebrows, if that's okay. Of course it's okay, I'll even buy. She eyed him as she reached for her things. Maybe we should run some lab tests on you, she said. He held the door, and she walked under his arm, missing his smile. The weekend rain had pushed out the cold and washed in a temporary air of spring. Both Mulder and Scully left their coats unbuttoned, flapping like great black capes behind them as they walked. In the early days of their partnership, it had seemed to molder that either she was scrambling along just behind him or he was forced to slow his loop so she could keep pace. He couldn't recall making a conscious decision to alter his gait permanently, and Scully had not grown longer legs, but somehow they now matched. The cadence of her heels had become part of his internal rhythm, like a heartbeat, constant and strong. Suits jammed the sandwich shop as though the recess bell had rung on Capitol Hill. Mulder stood in line while Scully stalked a table. After 20 minutes, they had a two-person place by the window and thick turkey sandwiches with golden chips. Mulder waited a moment so he could start with Scully, but she had lifted the top slice of bread from her sandwich and was busy realigning all the ingredients inside so they were even across the bottom slice. Didn't your mother ever tell you not to play with your food, he asked amused. It tastes better this way. Satisfied, she reassembled her sandwich and took a bite. Yeah, he knew he sounded inordinately pleased. With a mental note, he filed, turkey sandwich under food Scully will still eat. As if reading his mind, she glanced at his plate. Can I have your pickle? He grinned. Scully, you can always, always have my pickle. She hid a smile as she plucked it off his plate. You know, my father used to tell this story about a magic pickle he saw in Puerto Rico once. It danced, it sang, it pulled a rabbit from a hat. Not quite. She paused to lick her fingers. It brought good luck. The story was that this farmer was struggling to hang on to his land after a couple of years of drought sent him into debt. His latest round of crops was doing well, but he needed a chunk of money to hold him over until the big, end-of-summer harvest. Then, in the middle of July, the nearest town decided to hold a county fair, complete with the contest for the best produce. I can see where this is going from a mile away. Aha, she said, tilting her head at him. I bet you can't. He made a sweeping motion between them. Pray continue, then. The farmer got word of this contest and went out to his fields to select the best quality vegetables to enter in the contest. There were round red tomatoes and zucchini as long as your arm, but he knew that neighboring farmers had these kind of vegetables as well. But not the pickle, Mulder interjected. No, not the pickle. Out in the farthest field, he found the perfect cucumber. It wasn't the longest or the fattest, but it had a pleasing shape and a lovely green color. Scully, say pleasing shape again. She ignored him. So the farmer picked the cucumber and took it to the fair. He was so certain it would win that he didn't bring any other vegetables to enter in the contest. Unfortunately for him, the prize money went to a giant eggplant. Huh, Mulder said, saying down his sandwich, an unexpected twist. That doesn't sound so lucky to me. It wasn't, she agreed. Dejected, The man collected his cucumber and returned to the farm. The story says that on the way home, his tears fell on the cucumber, and that's when it took on its luck. My father was skeptical about that part. In any case, the next day, the man pickled his beloved cucumber and then took it to town to sell it at the local grocery store. The grocer immediately fell in love with the lone fat pickle in the jar, and he paid top dollar for it, more than the farmer would have received at the fair. The grocer put the giant pickle on display in his window and said he would sell it to the highest bidder. The funny thing, though, was that people started coming by just to see the pickle. His business boomed, and the pickle became the talk of the town. That's still not magical, though, Mulder argued. I'm not finished. The man who owned the grocery store was blessed with a lovely wife, but they were unable to have children. One night, he took the pickle home to show his visiting mother-in-law and he brought it in his bedroom that night for safekeeping. The very next month, he found out his wife was pregnant. And it was the pickle that did it, Mulder said, deadpan. In a manner of speaking, at least that's what the grocer thought. Anyway, he took the pickle back to the store, but vowed not to sell it. He told everyone of its powers, and people from all over the country started coming by to rub the pickle jar and make a wish. Dad said... He talked to a couple of people who swore the pickle made their dreams come true. And that, she said, as she picked up his pickle and bit off the end of it, is the story of the lucky pickle. Lucky pickle, he said, shaking his head. I can't believe those words came out of your mouth. But he knew he sounded completely charmed. I didn't say I believed the story. Of course not, he looked down at her plate. And I'm still not eating those things. She shrugged more for me. All you want, he thought, as he watched her polish off half the sandwich. In the hum and hustle of the small shop, they could have been any two government flunkies, dawdling to avoid going back to their desks. And Mulder searched his brain for a light topic, anything to keep the illusion going. Tell me more about your lecture, she said, before he could think of something to say. Did you make true believers out of them all? He smiled and leaned over the tiny table towards her. You are right about the flukeworm story, Scully. It was a big hit. Eugene Toombs made a pretty big impression, too. The kids got a good laugh out of me and a naked guy under the escalator. Then you didn't make them believers, she said. No. If they believed these things were real, Mulder, they wouldn't be laughing. They'd be terrified. Mulder thought the disappeared young woman with the quick smile and easy trust who had walked into his office four years ago and wondered if maybe Scully believed more than she claimed she did. He laughed uncomfortably in his seat. Well, here's a kind of laugh, he tried again. I think Professor Westfall was flirting with me after the lecture. Scully didn't laugh. She paused with her sandwich partway to her mouth. You think she was flirting? Okay, I'm pretty sure. He fiddled with his straw wrapper, gauging her reaction in quick glances. Why he felt the need to confess this little detail of his Friday, he did not know. Maybe this was how their relationship worked, where they each served volleys across the net, hoping to discombobulate the other. Scully returned his shot. And what did you do, she asked. Uh, frantic fiddling. He hadn't really expected her to press onward with the conversation. I guess I let her do it. Scully snorted. You make it sound like she mauled you in a dark alley, Mulder. It wasn't like that. What was it like? Her gaze nailed his, and he realized he'd been pinned. It was, um, it was weird. It can't have been too weird if you stuck around for more. If there was a correct reply, it failed Mulder. Forget I mentioned it, he said. It doesn't matter anyway. Scully's brows knit in a frown. So you're not going to see her again? Am I going to? No, I'm not going to see her again. I can mail the book back to her. What book? Understanding dawned on her face. Ah, the Mexican goat sucker. She's into that, is she? Define into. Mulder replied with a slight leer, but Scully was not dissuaded. She leaned across the table. You should see her again. Okay. He could play at this game. Why? Why? Yes, give me one good reason. Scully drew back. You, you like her? He shrugged. I like a lot of people. Fine, whatever, she said, setting aside her napkin. Do what you want. I won't play defense attorney in the case of Mulder versus a real life. Irritation flashed through him, hot and quick. Real life is the best reason to say no. You may have noticed we don't exactly work a standard nine-to-five job. And Lord knows everything is about work. She stood to leave and he grabbed her wrist. Scully, especially now. Don't you dare make this about me. But you know, you know better than anyone the consequences of being associated with me. She went perfectly still in his grasp and bowed her head. I always knew you thought it, she whispered, not looking at him. I never believed you'd say it out loud. Scully. She yanked herself free and swept up her coat in one single efficient motion. He watched her through the cold glass as she disappeared into the crowd. Alone he sat, his knees bumping the table with her unfinished sandwich. What about sex? Excuse me, Dr. Alton paused from taking Scully's blood pressure. Sex. I can still have it, can't I? Scully knew her tone bordered on Defiant, but she was still simmering from the lunchtime conversation with Mulder. As much as you want, Dr. Alton said, but Scully derived no satisfaction from the answer. The sad truth was that she didn't want it, not really. It took every ounce of energy she had just to brush her teeth in the evenings. Radiation and chemotherapy seemed to have withered every sexual impulse she had. You have someone particular in mind? Dr. Alton asked with a smile. No, Scully sighed, some of her anger seeping out. I just want to know the possibility is there. Because it had occurred to her, as she stewed about Mulder, that the possibility could disappear any day, that she could die without ever having been touched that way again. And yet, there was Mulder, throwing away such a chance while laying the blame at her feet. God damn him, she muttered. Aha, Dr. Alton said, so there is a specific him. She released the cuff, and Scully wiggled her arm as the circulation returned. Trust me, there isn't. Mulder and I just had an argument today. About sex? In a roundabout way, I guess. There's this woman. Oh, Dr. Alton said knowingly. It's not like that. He's refusing to go out with her. Dr. Alton shone a light in Scully's right eye. And you think he should. She's pretty, and she seems nice. Maybe you should go out with her. Scully pulled away. If she had the right chromosome combination, I would. But Mulder's just determined to end up alone. Oh, Dr. Alton said again, this time more gently. She wrote down the results of the exam on Scully's chart, then set the pen aside and squeezed Scully's hand. He's not alone, she said. And maybe that's what he's trying to tell you. Scully drove home in the dark and dragged herself up the stairs into her apartment building. Exhaustion layered every portion of her being, from the physical to the emotional. She looked forward to opening a can of soup and collapsing on the sofa. Smothering a yawn, she trudged the last few steps and turned the corner into her hallway. She halted with a blink. Sitting in front of her door was a large jar containing one single fat pickle.